Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott, and welcome back to yet another episode of Spin Magazine presents Lip Service. You're definitely more than familiar with our next guest. You know him from playing Hank Moody on Californication, one of the biggest shows of all time, The X-Files. He's a Golden Globe winner and the best-selling author. He is David Duchovny. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. And welcome back to another episode of Spin Magazine Presents Lip Service. This is a fun one today. I have one of the greatest actors of my generation, mm. Mr. David Duchovny. How are Thank you, my you. man? Thank you for that. Of course. I'm good. Great to see you in person. This is fun because like, I haven't done this in probably a year and a half in person. <laughs> is that right? So. You haven't? No. I had a buddy of mine, Jack Houston, was on the show. He's an actor. And uh, that was the last one I did probably a year ago. I'm your guinea pig. Is you you are, actually. And we're sitting <laughs> maybe like nine feet apart. We're definitely so I, <laughs> more than six feet apart. <laughs> yeah. So this is good. You never want to get too close, especially during Corona. But no. how, how are you feeling, by the way? You got new music out. So I want to yeah. get into yeah. music with you your whole history, your journey, obviously yeah. the new record. You've yeah. been busy during lockdown, which is crazy. You have yeah. like a million projects going on. Yeah. So yeah. I guess let's start with the record because that's pretty interesting, right? Sure. That's just yeah. coming out soon and the new single just dropped. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the music first. I mean, what got you into music at a young age? Like, well, it wasn't at a young age. I mean, I, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 50. Oh, was, wow. Okay. I was, get, I was getting divorced. I had time. Um, I had feelings. I had time. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up, you were around music your whole life. Who were the oh, artists yeah. that you were into growing up musically? Well, I have to go back to like my initial purchases of vinyl. Yeah, you know when I when I you know saved my pennies and nickels to get the three ninety nine that I needed to go over to Free Being Records over on Eighth Street and Second Avenue. Yeah. Free Being, that's yeah. that's the great name of the record store. <laughs> I'm gone, a New Yorker too, gone, so I remember all those. Forever, gone forever. Bleaker Records, remember yes, that record store? Yeah, yeah. Really huge. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, as a kid, kid, I listened to like Motown, uh, Jackson Five. Uh, Grazing in the Grass is a gas was maybe the first 45 I bought. And then I kind of, like for albums, I got into Elton John when I was like 12 or 13. And then Yes, I started listening wow. to Yes because uh, it was like psychedelic. Yeah, prog rock. Blew my mind a little <laughs> bit. Uh, so, you know, I kind of jumped all over Sly and the Family Stone, Allman Brothers. You know, I was just like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's interesting when you listen to some of those records, like Yes, uh, in particular, like some of those records really hold up for me and some don't, right? Oh, yeah. You go back, Sly Stone holds up, sounds great. Sly Stone is, it's like it was recorded yesterday. Definitely. I, I love it. But some of the records, and maybe, you know, prog rock, especially if you listen like ELP or Yes, I don't, it, the, it reminds me of like Dungeons and Dragons. And I, <laughs> I feel like it may not hold the same weight that it did at the time it was coming out. Do you feel that I, way when you listen yes, to some of those records? Yeah, I, I yeah. think it helped to, to, to be smoking some really weak, weak. 
weed <laughs> yeah. back then. But, uh, you know, I, I will listen to some Yes stuff. In fact, I just, I did that recently because I, it was so big for me. I, th- I wanted to go back and kind of like listen to it just yeah. to, and there's some beautiful songs like uh, uh, You and I and You and I and, and there's some great like instrumental work. But Roundabout. Is, Roundabout is yeah. the famous one, but, yeah. but it's, it's frustrating because it's like, I'm in search of a melody here. I'm in search of a, like, where, where, which is the chorus here? I've been through five bridges and I'm looking for a chorus. What so. we need now in music is more keyboard solos, I think. <laughs> that would really bring it back to the, but, but it's funny, but your music, and we'll talk about everything because I want to get into yeah. your history and, and what you've been doing during lockdown because you've definitely been producing quite a lot of uh, great content, whether it be the books you were putting out yeah. or you know the audio book you just released and all the, the TV yeah. and film stuff you've been doing. But Musically, a lot of your music stems back to Americana for me. It's like Petty, Wilco. Yeah. I don't know if you know this artist, Pete Yorn. Yeah. Reminds me a little uh, bit of Pete a little yeah. bit. He was on this show not long yeah. ago. So talk to me about your early musical influences that sort of ventured more into like the Americana side of music, yeah. the, the Petty aspect and Springsteen, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I would say my influences are like unconscious influences just because I didn't, I didn't play for so long. Yeah. But I had taste, my taste, and I, ha- and I knew what I loved, and I, and I, and I was attracted to a sound. Which was probably the sound I was trying to make when I played or when I started to write songs. And then, of course, when I got into producing and arranging those songs or, or, or you know, being involved in that, then I, again, I would gravitate towards those sounds just unconsciously. And it, and it would be Petty, it would be Dylan, it would be Wilco, you know, more, more recently. Um, or even like, uh, I was, uh, there's a song on this album called Stay Until, which like to me is like, Roxy music Avalon yeah you know, like it. coming out of nowhere yeah. I was like I wasn't consciously thinking of doing that but now that I listen to it I'm like oh I loved Avalon and when I was in graduate school I had a a, a screwed up uh, cassette player and I had like three cassettes and it was it was so screwed up because I put it I left it on top of this to- toaster oven <laughs> so it was kind of warped and Avalon was like the one tape that would play and I would just play that over and over and I just loved uh, Roxy music at that time and Brian Eno and, yeah. and then Talking Heads but I, I don't think Talking Heads like uh, in terms of sound is not something that I, I wouldn't know how to go into being influenced by Talking Heads because it's so percussive no question and you know I don't really know much about that I love it but I, I don't know how to do it. Were you an early Peter Gabriel Genesis fan, or, or were not, you a Phil Collins fan? Not Genesis. Uh, well, not, not not Genesis, but uh, uh, definitely a Peter Gabriel fan. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, like Us, I think, is a great album. I, I think the Peter Gabriel, um, the covers, like Book of Love, and, and even the, the soundtrack to The Last Temptation of Christ. That was, Amazing. That was another cassette definitely. that I had when I first came out here to L.A. I would listen to that one over and over and over again. And I, it's still one of my favorite soundtracks. Yeah, I live uh, next to the new Amoeba Records. So yeah. sometimes I just go in there and I get lost for like hours and such yeah. incredible stuff. And anyway, I, can, I could talk about Amoeba Records for about three hours. But talking about your new record. We should. <laughs> we should. Your new record, actually, you touch on politics. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of what you've been doing lately, it's weird how like art imitates life. And yeah. a lot of the projects, whether it be the bubble or your new record, a lot of it stems from what's been going on the last few years, obviously with COVID. And now there's this new Delta variant. And what a lot of people may not know is this is your third record. Yeah. And so it's interesting. You've had such an incredible career as an actor, writer, director, and such amazing success. Like what made you get into music early on a couple of years ago? Well, I say yeah. early on, but ten, it was just ten, 10 years ago. I started yeah. playing guitar. Um, it was really just kind of a progressive uh, you know, uh, one step after another. When I I've been playing for about a year, and the the way I was teaching myself how to play was by looking up songs that I liked on the internet, and then you know they have like version one, version two, you know right. they, they get 
easier and easier. And yeah. I go, I'd always go to like version eight, you know, <laughs> the one that breaks it down to three chords. Yeah. You know? So I, I was playing songs like that, and, and and I was just noticing that you know in rock and roll, it, it wasn't that complicated if you're going to keep it simple. And I was like, well, maybe I can write a song, you know, because I'm comfortable writing writing words. So I, I just, one day I wrote a song, and I was like, oh, shit, there's a song. And then I was talking to an old friend of mine who's, whose son is this guy named Keaton Simons, who's a terrific uh, writer, performer, uh, singer-songwriter, great voice, amazing guitar player, just an amazing talent. <clears throat> and she said, well, Keaton, well, you know, he can record you in his garage, and, you know, you just, like, see what you got. Yeah. So he played... And, and I sang as best I could. And so I had a couple songs. At that point, maybe I had three. And I had three songs on my phone. And that was it. That was all I thought. Okay, I have songs on my phone that I did. That's, that made me feel really good. Yeah. Like that was, I thought that was the high point. I was like, because I never thought. I, 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 I don't have like a natural voice. I, I can certainly get off key. And I can't <laughs> like, I can't like, you sing something to me, you know, the odds are 50-50. Yeah. I'll get it. Now, do you play that for your kids or family members? Well, and like, hey, well, I, well, what I you... would, but yeah. but but to me, it was like because I had grown up. Even I'd I'd gone to Grace Church School in the city, and uh, all the kids uh, that that were my buddies were in the choir because they got paid. All right, <laughs> they got paid like eight dollars a semester. <laughs> but it's a job I need. But I'll tell you, the church when they cut you a check. It's one of those big ones. <laughs> right. It's like a golf tournament. It's, it's the lottery ticket. Yeah, I was check. like, oh my God, I got to get one of those. You know, <laughs> I got I to gotta make the money. Yeah. You know, so my buddy said, oh, it's so easy. Nobody gets rejected. You know, like they take everybody in the choir. Even if you can't sing. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> so I went and I, I, uh, I, I tried out for it. And uh, the choir master said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a note and I want you to sing the note after it. And I, literalist, heard... Okay, he wants me to sing the note after the note that he's playing. So he'd go like boom, and I go boom. And he'd go boom, and I go boom. And he was looking at me like, "Oh my God, I've never heard something this bad." And I didn't get in. I didn't get in. It took me years to realize. I, I don't know if I would have went in even if I understood the instructions, but um, it took me re years to realize that I had literalized his uh, his instructions, and I was devastated. Not only because now I wouldn't have an eight dollar big check. <laughs> from the church every month but you know i'd been i'd been humiliated in front of all my friends and uh so i really had like a a, a block about singing and a fear mm. a real fear like it's so odd about singing you know we're, we're very accepting of people that try things you know right. i was like go ahead and dance you know dance <laughs> yeah. like nobody's looking but they don't say sing no no and people are like no you know, it's, it's almost <laughs> like it's offensive yeah and i don't know why that is yeah yeah why we crush people who don't have these pipes right? yeah i've definitely dated people that were terrible singers and they're like what do you think i'm like i, I don't know stop, stop yeah, doing I don't it. Know. <laughs> yeah but i was lucky enough to find uh, as i got closer enough as i got closer to the idea of recording I was like, shit, you know, you can just, I would say, you could just auto-tune me. No big deal. I don't care about that. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't sound right, especially in this kind of music. It doesn't sound right. So I was like, shit, I really got to sing it. And uh, I, found, uh, I found a guy named Don Lawrence, who's just an amazing teacher. And really for the past six years, I've been, you know, give or take when I'm, when I'm working on something and, like, too busy. But I'll vocalize every day, like 20, 25 minutes, just to stay in shape. And 
you know. So this is something you're taking very seriously, obviously. I mean, three records in, you toured already. Well, yeah, seriously in the sense, like, I just didn't want to humiliate myself. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, if I'm going <laughs> to, if I'm going to have you pay money to come here, I'm going to do my best. But also it's like, it's not really about hitting the notes when you're performing live, which it's nice to hit the notes, yeah. you know, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's really about you know the feeling and the vibe and, and the song. I've been in Courtney Love's band for about ten years, and obviously, it's uh, you know as a drummer, I think it's all about the emotion, right? Mm -hmm. It's about the feeling. So you know, we're not we're certainly like if there's mistakes, that's okay because that actually adds to the music. And so, totally. yeah, I think uh, you know so much about music is about the emotion, and it's not about being technical. But it's the same with acting, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no I, question. You know, when something goes wrong something changes yeah like the air changes <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden the take like people have they've rehearsed it they know their lines they're kind of you know they're doing it they're in it but then they're they're out of it and yeah. now life life is now in the room and that's what you've been trying to get <laughs> yeah no and, question and it happens with music as well so you you end up taking vocal lessons this is your third album right yeah. so talk to me about a little bit about the touring you've, you've done tours before in yeah. europe yeah. i think you did 10 dates for what the second record maybe and yeah you were in spain and all over oh, europe yeah been all over Europe and Eastern Europe and, and you know, dates in the States, but no, like, sustained uh, uh, tour. And you're playing, like, 1,500-seaters, big rooms. Anywhere from, like, 300 to 3,000. Incredible. You know? Like Moscow, we had 3,000 people. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> and are you feeling good about potentially going back on the road with everything going on now, or do you well, feel not, like... Not, not today. Not today, <laughs> right. But I'm excited to one day soon, I hope, play these songs. Definitely. And talk to me about the new record a little bit, because obviously the single just came out. Yeah. Uh, we have another single coming out soon. Yeah. And there's definitely a political aspect to the record that we should get into and yeah. talk about like you know the emotion behind the record and some, yeah. some of the sentiment behind it. Well, the, the first single that was released uh, way before the album was ready, we just wanted to get it out before the election, it was probably the, the only time I've ever you know, kind of made a like a specific political statement in any, anything I've done. Yeah. I, I just don't... I don't go that way. I'm always looking for like the, the eternal humanity, mm. you know, mm. which, which doesn't wear today's clothes. It wears yeah. any clothes. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's not about, it's not about Kennedy. It's not about Trump. It's, you know, it's just about what it is to be human. Yeah. Um, that's always been what's fascinated me. And, you know, we had that, the election coming up and we were writing the song and the song kind of came together from a couple different songs and the lyrics were, it was one of those hodgepodge type lyrics where we were taking a little from there and a little from here. And all of a sudden I just said, you know, we should just lean into, because there was one, there was one uh, verse about, uh, you know, crowds gather in the poison rain to hear what they want. And I was like, let's just lean into this. And, you know, I want to call Trump a stupid orange man in a cheap red hat. You know, I just, uh, I want to sing that, you right. know, so. And I know it's not, uh, that's not the kind of reasoned argument that's going to convince anybody to, to either vote against him or to get right. vaccinated or yeah. whatever. But, yeah. you know, I just, to me, it like summed up the place we were at. But then, you know, the song was also about like my failings. It was about, you know, that I turned away, you know, you know, yes, I can, I can, hurl vitriol at this political figure but also i'm responsible because i haven't been part of the solutions you yeah. know so if you look closely at the song it's not just a like a screed against this dude but it's also against myself in a way and, and my own failings so i i felt like that made it somehow palatable for me to 
to put out a political song, but of course, all anybody heard was Stupid Orange Man and Cheap Red Hat. So, you know, it's like, fuck you, Duchovny, you know, Hollywood liberal elite. Blah, 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 blah. Well, you, you recorded the record, uh, Upstate New York, I believe, in the, right before lockdown, right, of like last year. So getting it done, was it difficult to get it done? Did it buy you more time to really get it done the way you wanted to, to, to mix what, it in your own it, environment? Bought us more time than we wanted. Yeah. You know, bought, us, yeah. bought us almost uh, nine or ten months, almost a year. Uh, uh, yeah, it gave us time to think about the final version. Yeah. You know, we had, we demoed songs and, you know, we'd recorded a lot of parts of the songs, but once we had them all sitting in front of us and, you know, we, we, we recorded like 18 or 16 and we demoed 14 and then we chose 12. So w once we had those 12, we were like, okay, let's really figure out. Cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real proponent of like approaching each song as like a, like a play or, yeah, or like yeah. a, a movie, you know, it's like, I like songs that like change, have an arc. They change a little bit. Like yeah. I love it when they change a chorus a little at the end, you right. know, a word, just yeah. a word, yeah, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe too much. <laughs> right. Maybe that's the yeah. bad influence. Of, yeah. Those are 15 minute songs that no one needs right now, but yeah. that'll yeah. be your next record. It'll be a prog rock just record. Two songs. <laughs> yeah. each, each, each aside. Yeah. <laughs> and so we really kind of, uh, you know, thought about, each song in that way and and i'm also like some of the songs that i write i feel i feel i you know i want them to be emotional i want them to be uh, i want i want the listener to feel something and sometimes in the beginning i get that you know and, if, and it's just an acoustic thing and it's just me and it might be just my ears or me listening to myself but then as you build a song sometimes you move away from that yeah you know, sometimes the emotion somehow gets buried, buried in the slickness or in the professionalism yeah. or something. So I was very vigilant this time of like, yeah, it sounds great, but I, I, just, I don't think it's as good somehow, yeah. you know? So, and that was really, that's when my band and I argue a little bit because it's like, they're, they're really good musicians and they're really, they're putting it down correctly and they're, they're doing good shit. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's great. But, for some reason I'm lost here now. Yeah. I, I don't I don't feel it. And and so what what can we do to to make that happen again? And how'd you connect with the band members? Did you know them before? Uh, had they been studio I musicians didn't, or? I didn't Brad Davidson is a guy that I met through Keaton Simons who I was uh who I was recording those initial songs with for my phone. <laughs> and uh uh Brad Brad said, you know, he heard my songs and he was like, yeah, man, we can do like, we should do like a charity album. And I was like, charity album? Why? <laughs> he goes, well, you know, then people won't attack you so bad. <laughs> you know, it's like, like <laughs> and then we started to work on the songs and then he was like, you know what, we, we don't have to hide behind the charity thing. Yeah. I think we can really, you know, you can just go out and be, be a musician. <laughs> right. I was like, really? I, I don't mind doing the charity <laughs> thing. Like, who's going to attack a guy that's doing, doing a charity? charity. <laughs> Amnesty International, exactly. it could be anything, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, um, but that wasn't the concept behind the first record. It was, wasn't a charity record. No, so. I mean, that was going to be our cover story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you meet these guys through your producer. Yeah. And, uh, and then eventually you end up, are these the same guys now? Oh, well, he found these guys. He found them, right. Yeah, so yeah, for yeah. this record, it's the same lineup you used for the last two albums. It's been the same since then. Awesome. Same, same guys, Colin Lee, Pat McCusker, Mitch Stewart. And we've had a couple different drummers, but, uh, 
<laughs> I'm ready. Um, it's interesting because, you know, you've had such incredible success as an actor. And then I don't know about now, but when you're playing these gigs, it's, you know, obviously life on the road is not always as glamorous as people think it is, right? Well, not so for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the I mean. Rolling Stones. Exactly. You know? yeah. So does, is it ever strange to you in like kind of resetting where it's yeah, like, it maybe, maybe you have a roadie, maybe you don't, maybe yeah. you're loading your own gear. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm a it's Golden like, Globe winner. It's like, I've, David, uh, <laughs> David uh, uh, your Uber uh, for, is, is there after the, it's like, uh, what do you mean my uber <laughs> but but obviously it shows your passion because yeah. it is hard to kind of restart something especially yeah. in a new genre when you haven't yeah. done it and, and obviously yeah. i give guys like jared leto a lot of credit because he's made it as a musician but jared's right. been so determined from like day one it's been all about right. like music 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 right. yeah. but um is it hard because obviously that resetting thing just mindset wise right yeah i know i don't want to get into your whole history with acting and whatnot but um yeah you know, when you are setting up your own gear or you're playing maybe for 200 people and it's yeah. not the 1500 seaters yeah. and whatever, yeah. is it hard to get into that mind space? Um, if you have the downtime and if you, if you allow that to kind of fuck with your head a little bit, yeah. you know, um, you know, on the way to the venue, you know, in the crappy, uh, Uber or taxi yeah. Yeah. in, in, uh, some town that you've never been in. And then you, you look at the venue and it looks like, looks like a piece of shit and there's right. nobody lining up and you're like ah what am i doing yeah. but then you know once the music starts i never have that thought yeah i mean even if even if the place isn't packed it's cathartic know? right when yeah i mean it, we're, we're playing these songs you know and the songs mean something to me and i'm trying to put that over and uh I know that whoever came out, you know, spent money and wanted to see this, wanted to hear this. So definitely I, I have to respect that as well. Yeah. So the new record, let's talk about it for a moment. So it drops, the single came out about a week ago or so. Single came out a couple weeks ago. And weeks I think ago. there's another, there's another song, uh, dropping, uh, soon, a couple days today. I'm not sure. And then the album drops in August, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you decided for, I mean, I'm, we're hoping that this Delta variant at some point is, <laughs> under control and you can go on the road but yeah. maybe it would be do you have dates yet or not yet no, okay so we'll, no. we'll just have to wait and see again well yeah. take me back to the beginning because obviously yeah. you know i want to talk about you have such an incredible career and you grew up in new york right yeah as yeah. i did so yeah. we have that in common as Where well in new york as did you grow up long island i'm a five towns guy i don't know if you know that area not, pretty well, uh, so. woodmere yeah i'm from woodmere that's where i'm from <laughs> which is crazy my middle name and you may not know what the, the city but my middle name is gibson it's the city near woodmere i was born in so all right so we Woodmere, I went to collegiate high school okay. in, in New York, and our athletic rivals were Woodmere Academy. Amazing. And My uh, mom went to Woodmere Academy. Uh, you grew up in New York, and, and obviously growing up, were, you, were your parents exposing you to music a lot? I know that you, you know, your mom's from Scotland, mm -hmm. um, but was there a lot of music she around your household? Me, she exposed me to those uh, bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> and the kilt, I assume, right? Uh, my mom, no, she wasn't... Uh, Big music, you know. You know what she liked when I was a kid was uh, somebody Hurricane Davis. Do you remember? He had a real yeah. raspy voice, and then she loved Gilbert O'Sullivan, uh, "Alone Again Naturally." Okay, and sure. Claire, yeah, you know a creepy yeah. song about being in love with a little girl. <laughs> no, I don't know that song. Yeah, it was a big hit. Uh, and then um, my dad was a jazz fan, so he loved Billie Holiday. He loved the big bands, thirties uh, and forties. But he kind of stopped there. So my brother, who's like four years older than me, um, he he's the one who kind of brought my the music home. Allman Brothers, mm. uh, Stones, more than the Beatles. Oh, I got more into the Beatles. Uh, he wasn't a big Elton John guy. But, you know, in the beginning, 
<laughs> my brother would do things like he would buy me an album he wanted for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I really want this Stones record, Beggar's <laughs> Banquet. You should like it too. Merry Christmas, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I might borrow it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I probably did that too growing up. I probably bought myself. If you something. have a younger sibling, yeah, I'm sure. Older, but sure I think I probably did that too. Yeah. Um, so you got into the Stones. You were more of a Stones, a Beatles guy or a Stones guy? You said you were more of a Beatles, Beatles guy. back then. But okay. then, then the Stones for a while, and I think I come back to the Beatles. But, you know, yeah. I love them both. On a side note, have you watched this Paul McCartney documentary that just came out on Hulu? With Rick Rubin? It's incredible. Yeah. Just because you realize like George Martin had such a big part of their music and to hear the tracks like isolated and, and hear what George Martin actually added to the songs yeah. I found like incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And just to hear Paul talk about... Amazing. There's that... Because uh, a friend of mine sent me an episode like a month ago. I haven't... It's started to air? Yeah, it's, it's out. It, there's oh. like six episodes. A friend of mine sent me one... Uh, that was uh, Paul talking about Come Together. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen the whole that thing. John came in with a song that was a Chuck Berry song, and <laughs> yeah. Paul says, that's a Chuck Berry song. Yeah. We can't. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and John's like, I wrote it. No, I know you didn't. Chuck yeah. Berry wrote it. There's, there's incre- there's like, there, there was a guy upstairs who had, his name was, uh, I forget what it was, like Phil Moog, and he had like a Moog synthesizer. <laughs> right. We just invited him downstairs, and he added these parts on Strawberry Fields. Right. I was like, sounds incredible. I, um, uh, I, had, the, I had the guys use a Moog. Uh, the band used a Moog in, on the second album. I'm always going for the Moog. Or the, it's not a Wurlitzer. What's it called? The, uh, is it the Moog that kind of... Thermidor? Sp- no. The sp- it spins. Oh. Well, so yeah. you get that strawberry... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the backwards taping thing. and Yeah. Yeah. Again, the, the yes reference, what right? The Moog. It's the Leslie. The Leslie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I love the sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So you used that on the album? I think I think we did. They might have buried it on me. You know, they'll like put up with me. Like, yeah, yeah. It's on there. It's yeah. on there. <laughs> you can't hear it. Yeah. But, uh, but early on, what, what gave you the, the acting bug? Because you actually studied literature, right, in college yeah. and whatnot. So where, where did the I, acting bug come from? Uh, I was trying to figure out what kind of a writer I wanted to be. And, and uh, I said, uh, not poetry because, you know, there's just too much money in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't need that kind of money. Tons of money in poetry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, 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 a, it's a hideous thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, I, was, I thought I'd write fiction. But I was in graduate school, didn't really have the time to, to do it, uh, I thought, although I was trying. And I was at Yale at this time, in graduate school, so, uh, you know, Yale has the famous uh, uh, acting yeah. graduate school. So I kind of gravitated towards that area, and they, because I thought, okay, maybe I'll write plays, because at least then I won't be sitting alone in my room, at least right. I'll sit alone in my room for a little while, and yeah. then I'll go out and, you know, we'll... We'll make plays and yeah. we'll collaborate. And they just they let me hang out. It's very weird because if you if you weren't in the graduate school at Yale English department, you couldn't just walk in to some class and go, "Hey, you know, I'm interested in books, so right. I'm going to sit in." But they let me uh, they let me sit in a lot of classes, and um, I met actors. And then I decided if I was going to try to write plays, I should at least try to see what it's like to say say the words that I write. Yeah. So I started getting interested in acting. And then for a while I started, I was commuting back and forth from New Haven in New York. I was, uh, I was taking class twice a week in New York. I would, I would ride my bike from my, my house in New Haven to the train station, take my bike on the train, get to Grand Central, ride to class, ride Amazing. back. And yeah, I could do that all, all year long. I yeah. could do it. And your dad was a bit of a playwright too, right? So you actually must have picked up some of that, I would assume. My dad, from your dad. was a—he was always a writer. He's kind of wide ranging. I mean, <clears throat> in the 
and the, he always had a nine to five job. He never um, l uh, made a career as a writer, but he would supplement that income, his nine to five income with, uh, he he just all different kinds of things. Like he did, he did a biography of David Ben-Gurion, the founder of Israel. Mm. He did a book on, called Frauds Against the Elderly, which was about, you know, like copper bracelets and like the initial, all the things that advertise on Fox News, you know, <laughs> right. so like the initial. The clapper, clap on, clap Yeah, on. well, at least I think that works, but, <laughs> but you know, they, they, this is an oxidized sleeve that will turn back time, right. you know, that kind of stuff. I have that. <laughs> and so he did that, and then he did political satire um, books, he did picture books, and then finally, and he wrote a play that was on Broadway in 1967 called The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, which was, uh, aside from its title, not a comedy. Right. And uh, it lasted, I think, zero days. I think it might have closed in previews. It might have gone three or four days, but it, was, it got bad reviews and shut down. Mm. And this was only four years after the assassination, so my dad always thought it was just maybe a little too soon. Yeah. And uh, then at the age of 72, three years before he died, he published his first novel, which was well-reviewed in the New York Times, amongst other places. And, you know, he finally, after saying he was a novelist his whole life, he, he, he was. <laughs> yeah. so, so that actually, that might have been your precursor into writing and directing and acting, in a way. Yeah, well, he was, um, you know, both my parents, well, my mother, Moore, was, was very... Uh, interested in my education that I, that I should get, uh, that I should go to a great college and that I should even be a professor or something. You know, mm. this was, she's from a small town in Scotland and the way, the way you advance in her mind was only educated people advance. You know, yeah. you, you cannot get anywhere. It's not like America. <laughs> her, her mindset was set on you change classes by getting an education. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a function of being British, you know. And at what yeah. point did they think acting was like a real profession for you? <laughs> well, you let me know when it happens. Uh, well, my dad's dead, so, but, but uh, he was fine with it. I was going to say my dad, on the other hand, even though he was, I, I think, an intellectual, he wasn't like an academic. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> he didn't really care so much about, I mean, he wanted me to read, yeah. for sure. And, and he didn't mind that I was in college or even graduate school. Although later he said, I didn't see you in graduate school. I didn't, I never thought, you know, he said, the he, my parents divorced when I was uh, 12. So he said, and I didn't see that much of him after that. And he said, you know, the kid that I knew, you know, I didn't see him, you know, in, in graduate school. Yeah, yeah. I saw him out in the world. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. I was just kind of antsy to get out of school at some point. And your first major acting gig was what, like Twin Peaks, would you say? I know you did stuff before those commercials say, uh, and things yeah, like yeah, that. I would, but I would say the the Rapture. I Rapture. think it was before Twin Peaks because the Rapture was uh, a Michael Tolkien uh, script and movie, and uh, it was kind of like one of those hot scripts at the time that you know all these young actors wanted. Yeah, and I happened to get it, so I just remember being really jazzed about that. And uh, but it was it was tough because I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, which I guess a lot of actors do. But um, Were you studying at that point, acting, or had you not taken classes? Well, I'd taken those classes in New York, yeah. and, I, and I'd, I'd gone from one teacher to another. I, when I came out here in like 87, 88, 89, probably moved out here in 89, I don't think I ever had a class here. And I really, 
you know, as as hard as like the X-Files was in terms of a uh, daily schedule of acting, you know, 14 hours a day, yeah. for 10 months out of the year, it was, it was exactly what I needed. Even though I wasn't, you know, playing a different character all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Just that 10,000 hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I got that. That's what they say. And, uh, you know, without that, I don't, I don't think I could have, I, I could have had the relationship to it that I have now, you know, because I, because when I started, I certainly had kind of, uh, I had a certain kind of confidence, mm. which was unwarranted, you know, now that I look yeah. back, <laughs> uh, but that, that kind of got me over a certain hump. And then once I, once I got more experience, then I could look back and see, oh man, that guy, he, he didn't, he didn't, I don't know what he was doing. But. Because initially, I don't think anyone thought the X-Files would go on for that long, right? I think you, maybe, oh, I, maybe the network thought it would be I, like I didn't two th- seasons. I didn't think it would go yeah. past, uh, well, I wasn't sure it would get picked up as a pilot. I really just thought, well, it's a show about aliens, which I wasn't that interested in, and I didn't, I didn't know anybody that was interested in it yeah and and i just thought well how are you going to do it i mean you're either going to not show the aliens and people are going to get frustrated or you're going to show the aliens and then (laughs) it's going to be over (laughs) i didn't know it was going to be about everything yeah and um so we got picked up and that was great because i i've got had a job and i was making a little money and i felt i was a working actor it felt really good just to get going in that first year and then and then something happened you know then it just kind of clicked into the zeitgeist somehow so hey guys we're going to cut away for just a moment and have a word from our sponsor thursday's boots and be back in just a moment you're listening to lips la with scott lips our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at thursday's boot company you guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture i have on instagram i'm always repping them thursday's boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry thursday's boots tagline is highest quality honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather supple glove leather lining and gold standard goodyear welt construction thursday's boot company sells their boots at prices starting at just 149 with free shipping and returns They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, so many things happened during lockdown. I feel like, you know, it's almost like it's unbelievable that we've been locked up for so long and, yeah. and things were the way they were. It was always like the governments, by the way. By the way, there's like alien, you know, that we, we do have information <laughs> that there are real UFOs out there. And everyone's like, all right, all right, what's next tomorrow? Like, it's almost like no one really paid that much attention to it, ironically enough, right? It's weird. I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think also that the, <clears throat> the stories that are coming at us from you know QAnon and and these conspiracy they're they're so I, I think we don't believe anything anymore yeah because in a way that's what the you know the Trump administration was able to do with their alternative facts and everything it's just <clears throat> nobody believes it's like everybody believes everything and nobody believes anything yeah, yeah. anymore so you're like yeah 
the QAnon stuff, it's, it's patently false. And okay, but now I'm supposed to accept that there are UFOs? <laughs> right. that kind of it just kind of came and went. It, came, it was like a news story one day, and then the next day it was like, all right, yeah, we're, okay, that's confirmed. That's I mean, I've just always felt what I felt back, back then when I would answer those questions, which was it would seem unlikely that we're alone. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I don't believe anybody's hiding yeah. anything. But. And when you, when you look back on that show 10 years and such an incredible you know, arc and whatnot, I mean, do you have great memories? I know that you just saw Jillian in London mm-hmm. and you were, you were uh, doing a show over there. Mm-hmm. Great memories of the show? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the show was uh, so uh, time-consuming and energy-consuming and focus-consuming, really all-consuming, that it's in, indistinguishable from my life. Yeah. You know, it, it was my life for the first seven years of it. Yeah. I really, there was not much left of me to do much else. Definitely. So my memories are of, of my life, you know, and a lot of those are going to go back to set or that time. And, yeah. And they're going to be at least adjacent to the X-Files at that time. Definitely. Well, we can't uh, do this podcast without talking about one of my favorite shows of all time, Californication. Aspirational for me. Um, (laughs) Also playing in a band for so many years and still playing. There's such an incredible rock and roll component to the show. You have incredible cameos from like Rick Springfield to Jonesy, Steve Jones, like just, you know, who I know. And so, so great cameos. I mean, Again, one of my favorite shows. So when you when you look back on that show, I mean, was there anything like where like art imitated life where you're like, I can really get into this character, Hank Moody, because I can really relate to this. Uh, now you play music. So obviously yeah. <clears throat> there was a strong tie between music and the show. And Well, what I related to, when I, I was sitting at home and I kind of, when I got off the X-Files, I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to ever do television like that again it's just too much i because it was 25 episodes 22 episodes yeah and, and then you're trying to squeeze a movie in in your two-month hiatus it was just kind of a hamster wheel <clears throat> but then in in the in the interim between like 2002 and 2005 you know cable blew up yeah yeah you know and uh all of a sudden there was this possibility of doing 12 episodes I was like, I can, I, I can handle that. And for California case, it's like 30 minutes. Oh, mm. I, 12 weeks. Yeah. Well, oh, I can handle that. Yeah. And, and I'd been sitting around kind of looking for movies and looking for a comedy because I, I had this chip on my shoulder about the X-Files. Like, you know, nobody thinks I'm funny. I got to find a, a thing that, you know, I got to find a comedy. And I wasn't getting any of the movies that I thought I could score that way in. So the script for, Tom Capanos's uh, Californication script ca- came around, and I was like, "Oh, oh, this is funny, and I can do this. This is the funny I can do." Yeah, because they're actually not making this in movies right now. <clears throat> this is more like uh, shampoo, or right, more right. like more like comedies that they made in the seventies. Um, I was like, "I think I can fit in there. I think I can do that tone. I want to do that." So that's that's what I that's what I related to. It was like how to satisfy what was like comedic in my soul, trying to find the right vehicle uh, and the right tone. And it was like this guy, you know, uh, Kapanos and and, and Moody, Hank Moody, he kind of nailed that that tone. And then, you know, to to play a character that just speaks his mind no matter what, it's just just so fun to do. You know, this is a guy... 
you know, on the scaffolding. You know, they're going to give <laughs> yeah. him the last chance yeah, yeah. to lie and yeah. save his life, and he just can't. He just won't. He, in many ways, even though he's seen as kind of a an untrustworthy womanizer, uh, I always thought him as very truthful. Yeah, you know, I a agree. completely truthful per- person. You know, that he calling bullshit everywhere he saw it. Yeah. So I, I I dug all that, and you know, the seven years of working with uh, with Tom and Natasha and Evan and Pam. And then all the musical guests, as you mentioned, it was just, it wasn't a party because it wasn't a party, you know, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't bring me down. Yeah, it, didn't, yeah. it didn't, it it didn't leave me empty. You know, it left me kind of filled, you know, because going to work and trying to make ridiculous, funny stuff, that was a gift. Yeah. With those actors. Because initially comedy was really what you wanted to do, right? Well, I mean, I just thought. Yeah, I just thought I could do it. You yeah. know, but it but it was um you know, in that in that area, in that area of like uh, I, I don't know exactly know how to put it, but he wasn't like a <clears throat> he wasn't like a little kid. You know, there was a lot of comedies at the time that was just really goofy. Yeah. No, there was a truthful element to it, right. and I think that's what people related to. And but I wonder like if that show could come out now. I feel like with our current culture and everything's so politically correct. Post, and post me too, it's very difficult. Yeah. Because, yeah. not because of the show. Because <clears throat> I would argue that the show is actually, um, and Tom used to say this, uh, I'm not hiding behind him, but <laughs> he'd say, you know, the women are, are run the world of this show. Yeah. The women run the world of California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and, you know, the bells and whistles and the smoke and mirrors of like uh, sex or whatever that, people who don't who don't really wa- who are just watching for that then yeah they're they're going to get upset and you know there's a lot of sophomoric jokes yeah yeah fart jokes dick yeah, jokes yeah. all you know stuff that doesn't yeah. really fly yeah right now but uh well there's all the debate I, about entourage and whether that could come out now today too right <laughs> this another like guy heavy show that's yeah a buddy I mean, show it's just it's just not the turn for that kind of show right now. Yeah. But I would argue that that's fine and that's right and, and the, the, the cycle is good right now. But I'd also argue that really philosophically and really comedically, it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. But it actually, yeah. it's on mostly. I mean, yeah. sometimes I'm sure we cross the line and we're <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah. mostly the heart and the respect is in the right place. Definitely. Is it the kind of show your kids ever watched? Do they ever watch it? Yeah, well, like... I know because, you know, <laughs> I, I get to see the Netflix uh, queue and all that. Oh, right. <laughs> it's right up there, right? So My son definitely was watching it. And did he, did he like it? Did he ever yeah. comment to you about the show? He, he did eventually. He did, okay. Yeah, he was like, and that was a great character, Dad. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Because they, they didn't really watch the X-Files ever. or um, You know, they've watched the, some movies of mine. But, but I think, uh, I think uh, my son really liked California Cage. Yeah. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you just finished another movie with Judd Apatow too, which is great. So, and it's actually another instance where sort of, again, it's about a pandemic, right? So it's about... Those, I believe, are Hank Moody boots. Are they? 
are they like a green suede? Uh, they are. They're a, a brand that I work with called Thursday's Boots, actually. Okay. But uh, I think I think we, Hanks were Timberlands. We should actually make these the <laughs> Hank Moody boots. They are. I love those. Those are yeah. very comfortable. I'll get you a pair, by the way. Comfortable to work. I'm, I'm 100 going to get you a pair, so I'll take you up on it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about uh, you know the bubble because yeah. another another thing that you just did that's definitely tied into what's happening yeah. now in life. And again, yeah. another instance where you know is it too soon almost to have a show about being in a pandemic and trying to make a movie? Right? We'll Who see. knows? We'll see. <laughs> right? But it's coming out soon. So let's talk about that a little bit. Judd Apatow, yeah. amazing to work with. Yeah. And talk about the, the concept behind that show. Um, yeah, Judd I know from Larry Sanders. Yeah. Way, way back in the day. One of your favorites, right? Yeah. Gary, Gary Shanley. Gary's one of my best friends and Judd, arguably Gary's best friend. Yeah. <clears throat> and Gary was Judd's uh, mentor and Judd was his protege. Yeah. And uh, Judd also did that beautiful documentary about uh, Gary yeah. a couple years ago. Years ago. You guys used to have basketball games at yeah, Gary's house, yeah, and yeah. yeah. So um, I've known Judd a while, and in fact, I played Judd in a movie. <laughs> Did you really? There's a movie called know. The TV Set that Jay Kasdan wrote and directed. That uh, is basically about Jake's uh, experience with Judd doing Freaks and Geeks. It's kind of <clears throat> fighting with the network, and you know, having this artistic vision and being kind of squeezed by the network into a more commercial area and just always fighting that way. So it was about the, the making of a pilot. Oh, wow. It's a really good yeah, little Yeah, I'll have to movie. check it out. It's yeah. like an inside Yeah, I'll check column. it out. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's in it, and uh, <clears throat> Judy Greer, who I love. It's like the disaster artist or one of yes, those. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's a little yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, I was playing Judd, and I just, I'll always remember, and I've told Judd this, but... We did the table read of that movie in an afternoon, and that night was the premiere of 40-Year-Old Virgin. Oh, right? wow. So, yeah, we're all going to the premiere of this yeah. movie. And I just remember, like, being in that audience and realizing that, like, Judd had just redefined <laughs> yeah. something, and that last week I was playing some guy named Judd Apatow, and next week I was playing Judd Apatow. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> yeah. It's like playing Quentin Tarantino or yes. something like that. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, but the bubble is about it's different for Judd because it's kind of a it's kind of like a hybrid action movie. So mm. it's about it's about this action franchise, um, like a Fast and Furious kind. Of, you know, like many <clears throat> many moving parts of it. Keegan Michael Key and Karen Gillan and Fred Armisen and myself. Fred, and, who I love, Fred is incredible. <laughs> drummer. Yeah, have you seen that special he did about drummers? <laughs> no, Stand up for drummers. It's, really it's amazing. You got to see it. Uh, Leslie Mann is in it. Yeah. And some great uh, English actors that you know, young English funny actors, com comedic actors. So we're we're these kind of uh, annoying movie stars in this annoying huge franchise that have come together to uh, shoot one during the pandemic because we think we can get in the bubble. If we can just get in this bubble and we don't get out of it, then we're going to make this movie and we continue to work and get paid and all those things. <clears throat> but we realize like partway through it that we hate each other. We all hate <laughs> each other and we just want to escape the bubble from the bubble. And yeah. we, we basically try to flee our own <laughs> movie. <laughs> and so that comes out in August too, I think, right? No, no, we, no, I well, think that's more I, the end of the year, I think yeah, actually. I yeah. Think that's like Christmas time. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a, it's pretty big, broad comedy and, you know, the action sequences should be as good as, you know, it's not like a, 
it's not supposed to look crappy. It's yeah. supposed to look like really great. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a real movie that they were making. Definitely. Well, it is incredible how many things you've actually done during this lockdown because you have an audible book that just came out. Mm-hmm. Obviously we can talk about your fourth novel and then you also mm-hmm. did uh, another show with Amanda P the chair. Right. So I don't know anyone as busy as you during a pandemic and, and your record. <laughs> Let's not forget. So, well, well those things, you know, they take a long time to do. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. but you seem to do most of these during the last year and a half, right? Would you say, or last two years? Well, maybe? they're coming out now. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, certainly the bubble during it and the chair. Yeah. Um, I did a small indie called Adam the First. I don't know when that comes out. And, uh, but truly like lightning, uh, the novel I wrote before the pandemic. And let's talk about that for a minute. Cause yeah. it, another instance, sort of a Western, right. And, yeah. and yeah. Uh, there's some isolation involved again, another parallel to what's gone on the last year and a half. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, your fourth novel and uh, came out a couple months ago. And let's talk about that for a minute and the yeah. story behind that too. It's like an epic Western. Yeah, it is. Uh, not like anything I've ever uh, done or thought about doing. Uh, really just the story that I came to in my head necessitated <clears throat> making it this way. Uh, it's really about a, f- uh, a, more, a fundamentalist or a kind of a throwback Mormon uh, family that's been living out in Joshua Tree, like in this huge, huge compound the size of Santa Monica, and raising their kids. Their kids have not seen another human being. And, uh, you know, a, a real estate developer kind of stumbles onto them and, uh, you know, wants that land. So it's the classic yeah. bad guys want the land, good guys want yeah. to stay on the land. Yeah. And uh, what happens is... Uh, by some kind of a compromise, they <clears throat> they take three of the kids and they, they put three kids in Rancho Cucamonga High School and they kind of use it as a test because child services is saying, we're not sure these kids are being educated. You know, let's just take a look. You know, we might have to take your kids from you and it's all this legal stuff that's happening. And so they go at the end of the year, we'll see how the kids are doing and if your kid's doing great, you know, then you can have them. We will walk away. If they're not doing great, then we have to have a discussion. We can sell some of your land. We can move to Rancho Cucamonga, whatever. And so then the middle of the book becomes this uh, crazy, you know, cultural education of these three kids yeah. who have never seen a cell phone or a computer or anything. And all of a sudden they're smack dab in this, you know, kind of affluent suburb in Southern California with their fundamentalist Mormon values. And uh, something very terrible happens that leads the uh, the patriarch of the family to then take his 11-year-old boy back, kidnap him basically back to Joshua Tree, where uh, there's a certain kind of a standoff with the authorities. And, you know, again, hugely dramatic, epic things happen. And it's really a clash between, I'd say... Uh, just old values and new values, really, mm. and trying to trying to accept the legitimacy of both, or 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 to see, you know, I'm not coming down on either side. I yeah. try not to yeah, yeah. as an author. I'm I'm trying to see the motivation behind somebody believing that or wanting to live that way. How did you research the book? Because obviously, do you, do you have friends that are Mormons? Did were you? Uh... I I uh, I had a I did have a friend who who was Mormon, a guy named Ron Eldard, who's a really good actor. Did you know Ron? No, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I don't know if he was Mormon, but he, he was raised uh, amongst Mormons anyway, so he knew a lot about it. <clears throat> and uh, that was years ago, because I was toying with this idea for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, I thought that I was going to have to go to Utah to research it, because I figured, I figured 
if I wanted to write a story uh, that figured Mormons in it, yeah. like, you know, it just, because I don't really it. know that much about yeah. it. And the initial round of research, I just said to the person who was helping me, just find me, like, intense pockets of Mormons in places that might have uh, lands that might have minerals, that might have, mm. <clears throat> might have natural gas, something that, that maybe they're sitting on something that's more expensive than they know or more valuable than they know. So he came back with a bunch of really interesting stuff all, all over the country. Huh. But uh, he found for me, and I didn't know, <clears throat> that uh, Mormons founded San Bernardino. Mm. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I get to write my L.A. novel. <laughs> right. So you know, half of it is set in L.A., half yeah. of it is set in Joshua Tree. And uh, it was a fascinating part of American history that I did not know. And I got to make my, my uh, converted Mormon, the patriarch, a, a yeah. former stuntman. So I got to kind of use what I've learned or what I've seen of movie making uh, as part of the novel, too. So it really, it dovetailed really nicely for me. Uh, and that was just very, very lucky yeah. that I had a good researcher that, that found that for me because it was not something that I knew. Yeah, what did you uncover when you did research that you didn't know about Mormons? Anything that was like... Because uh, <clears throat> no. I just watched that show on Orthodox and it was like uh, mind-blowing. I'm Jewish, but I didn't yeah. even know anything yeah. about half the things that go on in the community. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I found, you know, <clears throat> they're very organized religion they're very outward reach religion they're very community oriented religion they do a lot of really wonderful things for their communities you know they're it's really their organization that was so interesting to me but what i was reaching back for and this i don't know how much this has to do with uh, the mormonism of today but i was re really talking about joseph smith and mm. You know, this was a very charismatic, yeah. some would say con man, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the American tradition of, yeah. of, of charismatic con man. L. Ron and Hubbard, maybe. L. Ron Hubbard, <laughs> yeah. and Amongst others, right? Guy yeah. more recently you might, you might think of as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was just like really interested in this guy. And I had a professor at Yale named Harold Bloom who had written a book on called The American Religion. He'd called Joseph Smith a genius, and I, I always thought that was really interesting. Like because I'd read the Book of Mormon, and and I thought, you know, I, I kind of just didn't resonate with yeah. me. But it was really. Did you grow up being religious at all, or were you not really? Well, religious? I went to a church school, oh, you did? Okay. so I read the Bible. Yeah, my father's Jewish. I attended Passover. You know, we <clears throat> we did the holidays, but he was more of a cultural Jew. Yeah, same as me. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more of an attitudinal Jew, right. I'd have to I say. I know about matzah balls and <laughs> yeah. Kirby enthusiasm. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> hide the, uh, hide yeah. the matzah. Yeah, exactly. It's, so not, you didn't really grow up religious, but, but obviously... No, but I know my Bible because yeah. of also being a student of literature. Yeah, yeah, no question. So the, the book just comes out, and obviously it's been out now for, what, two months or no, so? it's been out a while. It's been out... A couple uh, months? Five months. Five months, yeah. okay. Yeah. And already you have another book, an audible book that you just released. So yeah. it, it's like the work never stops, right? So Well, that one just came out. That was really like a pandemic yeah. book because I I hadn't, again, like I don't like to write a political song. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to write a pandemic. It's like, I'm not going to write a pandemic book. <laughs> but I will. I, and the, yeah, then I had this idea. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this is a pandemic book. <laughs> 
and it, and it's I thought it was going to be a short story, but then it got longer and longer, and it's kind of a I, it's not quite a novel. I guess you call it a novella, and uh, I was really happy with it. I think it was some of the best writing I've done. So, and, and I think part of that was because it was it was really kind of free associative. It was so isolated. Yeah, you know the character was so isolated. Yeah. He really didn't have anybody to yeah. talk to. Yeah, yeah. So it was really like uh, inside his mind. And out of all these mediums, is there one that you like best? Obviously, writing, directing, well, author, so music. Act, acting and making music is the most fun yeah. because it's like playtime. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, but, and, and it can be really satisfying, too. Really satisfying. Yeah. Um, writing is so, it's so just uh, just me. You know, it's just me and the pencil even though i don't write with a pencil back, back to the poem being alone being a poet again yeah. it's that thing, yeah which is so the, so there's a moment when uh before your book comes out where they send you the galleys or they send you the mock-up of what your book and it looks like a paperback at that point they don't send you a hardcover yeah it's called uncorrected proof or whatever and when you get that i mean the first time i got that i knew that it was just yes i worked with an editor and i'm indebted to that person and yeah thank you and they did great work he did great work, Jonathan Galassi. But um, it really felt like this didn't exist. And then I sat on my ass for a long time. Right. And I like, <laughs> I shat this thing out, you know. <laughs> and here it is. And even though I said shat, it's totally satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Because there's something to be said about the immediacy of playing a gig, right? And we'll talk about, yeah. just to bring it back to music, we'll talk about Jesterland, which is coming out actually August 20th. But you play a gig... 300 people, 1,500 people, it's immediate. Mm -hmm. And you might make a film or do a TV show or write a book, and sometimes it's a very delayed response, right? You could do a film or a TV show, as you, we were talking about, it comes out like a year and a half you're, later, you're, right? You're not connected with it anymore. Exactly. You know? So so it's talk not. about like the connection you have with the audience. When you're playing gigs now, Like, do you feel that people know the last two records? Yeah, people so are singing the, along? The ones up in the front. Right. Do. <laughs> yeah, so they're not like, hey, I have I a mean, question I'm about X-Files. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm under the illusion they all know it, but I, but I think it's probably the only front two rows. Um, yeah, I, I figured at first they, they came for the novelty yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. you know, but, I, but I didn't care about that because I thought I could hook them, you know, with the music yeah. once I got them in there. Yeah. I, so, uh, yeah, I don't care why you come. As long as you, as long as you yeah, attend the shows. Yeah. You give it a fair shake. You Definitely. know, it's like, I, I feel like ears are completely neutral. No question. You know, like ears don't care who's making that music I they agree. either like it or they don't yeah, yeah. Uh, are there any artists now that you listen to during this last year and a half that you're super inspired by music wise uh like th through my son like pine grove i think is really interesting okay. yeah, i don't know them yeah um what do you personally listen to you now what i'm I mean, excited to go check out is i know that neil young just released uh, uh a 1974 live oh cool uh where he basically plays uh, zuma i think it's okay. zuma live with cortez the killer oh and, awesome yeah yeah i'm looking forward to you know i'm just hopelessly stuck in that yeah. time are you an amoeba guy like do you spend hours in a record server you can't no because i don't have a phonograph oh, I don't, okay I don't, so uh you know i i want to think that i am that guy but <laughs> right. i am the lazy guy with spotify <laughs> right. you know that's that's, that's who i really am in my dreams i'm the guy at amoeba 
I'll tell you, it's, it's life-changing when you get vinyl again because you, you, know, you realize that people do make records be played and you know, there's, there's a, there's a chronological. And just like the order, I mean, now who listens to like a record in order because you're not really, you're, uh, I, our minds I, are not programmed to do I that. I worked hard to try to sequence uh, this album. It's, it's not a concept album, but I worked hard to sequence the songs so that they kind of flowed into one another in the best way that I thought that they could. Well, if, if you haven't picked up any of David's music or Spotify David's music, uh, August 20th, uh, the single's out now laying on the tracks and uh, Jesterland is coming out on August 20th, so make sure you pick it up. This was a blast. By the way, I should just always do these in person, but I'm hoping that we get through this time at some point where I can keep doing this because I love doing this in person. This is awesome. It's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of stuff uh, Zoom-wise. In fact, I uh, saw some, uh, yeah. with truly, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I get shit for my lighting, yeah. but uh, I don't light. But, but uh I, tr I truly like Lightning, which I'm developing at Showtime as a series. Oh, right. Um, true, true. I, I, I pitched it. You know, I pitched it uh, last summer. Over Zoom or in person? Over Zoom to Over everybody. Zoom. Yeah. You know, and uh, my God, it's a long story. And seriously, I was in a room not much bigger than this, and I would start after some really lame pleasantries and right. compliments. Back How are you? Forth. Great. How yeah, are you? Yeah, Great yeah, to I see know. you. Yeah. And then I would... I'd fucking talk for 45. I'd tell a story. It would take me 40 minutes. Wow. And I'd, and I think, you know, people are muting themselves. Or, <laughs> yeah. And I'd be just, it's, Brushing like, their it's like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just bombing. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm just looking at these faces. And, I and uh, you know, obviously it didn't bomb everywhere, but, uh, or anywhere, but it, it's, there's something inhuman about it. It's very easy. I, I do, I did enjoy, like, not having to fly to go do a talk show. Right, right. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. This was a drive, but not too bad, right? Where, are no, you in, in on the, the west side? City. Oh, you're in the same okay. city. That's okay. fine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, hey, you know, do, do Kimmel or whatever. And like, yeah, for my living room, sure. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. a good idea. <laughs> do you like, do you, by the way, on a last note, New York or LA, do you prefer? I mean, I know now, that you're back I'm and LA. forth. Now yeah. I'm LA. You are, okay. Yeah, I'm, okay. I, like I said, I grew up in New York. Yeah. I raised my kids mostly there. And, uh, you know, I love the city, but it's been a long, long time yeah. I've been there. And uh, I'm, I'm ready for some of the space and the, the quiet of L.A. I got to tell you, I'm the opposite. I just went back there and I'm like, I need to be back here. And the energy's <laughs> been, no, because now, like, yeah. aside from this last two weeks, like, things were coming alive and it was incredible yeah. and going out there. I mean, it's just, I just love the organic nature of walking on the street and running into people. I don't see anyone here unless I make a plan to see them, which is yeah, weird, true. right? And, and have you seen, like, it's turned into a European city because yeah. all, all the, the outdoors, yeah, all every, the restaurants. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. I might move back there you one day. You can get we'll hit see. by a bus while eating. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I get nervous about that because I see the cars coming right so there? close and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be in the middle I, of the street. I think right now. I, I feel uh, sometimes if I'm driving by, I'm going to just snatch a burger <laughs> off somebody's plate. <laughs> I'm sure they'd like that. That would be a great story, by the Boom. way. <laughs> so check out the new music, August 20th. David, it was such a pleasure. Uh, big Thank fan you. of uh, California and everything you've done, and, and the music, too. So it's great. And, uh, and hopefully you'll be on tour sometime within the next... Six months, Six months yeah. something like that, and because yeah. uh, it was a, a, a couple dates that were sort of lined up, yeah, right? Yeah, with the toadies, maybe or no? Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, I just said yes, but I, I think that's all up in the air again. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, be on the lookout. Follow David on all things social media. Do you use social media? You're on. Uh, apparently, I do. Okay, someone else does. Well, you sort yeah. of do it, right? I, I Your kids are on I, it. I so try not to look. Okay. But, uh, well, either way, if you want to know, I say stuff <laughs> that I that I never said, and. Uh, I try, I try, I just, 
I, I have people, I just say, just don't get me in trouble. Well, for so, the tour dates, check out social media because yeah. at some point, the tour dates There's will be on there. there. Yeah. But make sure you also check out Jesterland coming out August 20th. Thank you again, and uh, great to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thank you. You, too. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Well, that was great. I'm a huge fan of Californication, a huge fan of David Duchovny. Great interview. So great to do these in person now. It's been so long, and so it's really uh, really cathartic for me, actually. I think that was my, like I said, it was like my second one in person like the last year and a half. So definitely doing some more of these coming up. I hope you enjoyed the Mick Fleetwood episode last week. More in-person interviews coming up on Lip Service presented by Spin Magazine. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you like the show, please make sure you go to iTunes and rate the show. Five stars would be great. See you soon. Be safe and have a great summer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.